am glad you're here. I'm glad you're here too. Because I believe you're here on the right night. God never fails to bring the right crowd out for the word that we're going to share. We're starting a new series tonight called The Church of Influence. We kicked it off actually with, with our roundtable discussion last week. But as far as the teaching is, we're going to jump right into this. Uh, I, I don't know if you've thought much about this, but Jesus had the unique perspective of walking the earth that he actually created. But he created it in perfection. So think about this for, uh, with me for just a minute. When he created it, it was perfect to the degree that initially there was no death. So we, we take for granted, like we're right now in winter here in the Northern Hemisphere, and uh, here in North Texas, the, the grass basically is gone brown. Uh, that's, that's, you know, that's a death cycle. But even in, even in summer, you'll, you won't have every plant survive summer. You know, there's some death. But, you know, he created it. And yes, there were seasons, but, but there wasn't death. You know, you drive down the road and some poor animal got hit. A couple of days later, if you're in July here especially, it does not smell very good. But just think about just think about a perfection that in the spring, there's not a dead blade of grass. There's nothing wrong. I mean, God saw that creation was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. And then he comes into the earth thousands of years after creation. And things are not what they used to be. So Jesus is walking in a broken world. And yet he's able to see everything that's wrong. He's able to see that, that government in his day was corrupt. Government leaders were corrupt in the worst way possible. Um, I won't even get into the debauchery that, that took place among Roman leaders. It was just, it was, it was horrific. And yet in the midst of, of a world that was broken, a world that had death, a world that had destruction and decay, somehow or other, he never lost touch with heaven's perspective on things. He, he saw the brokenness, but he was not hopeless. He saw, he saw what was wrong with society. He saw what was wrong with government. He saw what was wrong with people. And yet he understood that there was hope because he was that hope. He was that answer. Now think about this for just a second. The New Testament gospels tell us that it was Jesus' habit to be in, in, uh, in church on the Sabbath. He is truth. He is the word of God. Can you imagine how much wrong stuff that he sat through? And yet, and yet the gospels never say that he made some power play to show any rabbi up or never called anybody out. He sat there and listened to it knowing that there would be a moment when everything would be set right. Amen. He kept heaven's perspective regardless of what was going on. One of my absolute favorite chapters in the entire word of God is Isaiah chapter 61. We don't have time to see it in its entirety, and we're going to actually go back and, and look at this from the beginning to see what Jesus' call was and what the effects of that call were. 
But I wanted to show you something at the end of the, at the, end of the chapter, the last two verses of this chapter talk about his joy, okay? So the scripture says, I will sing for joy, messianic passage. So we're talking about the Messiah. I will sing for joy and explode in praise from deep in my soul. So you experience personal revival like that. When Jesus becomes the biggest thing in your life, when he's the first thing you think about when you wake up, the last person you think about when your head hits the pillow all day long, you're praising him, you're worshiping him. I mean, what he did for you, you can't forget that. You just, when you think about it, what he delivered you from, how he saved you, how he's answered your prayers, how he's provided for you, you want to praise him. It's, it's only when we get our eyes on other things that we get discouraged, that we get hopeless. But man, when, when we see Jesus, we rejoice. So the Messiah is saying, I'm going to explode in praise. And watch this. He dressed me up in a suit of salvation. He outfitted me in a robe of righteousness. I mean, don't let the devil condemn you over who you used to be. That's not who you are anymore. When you met Jesus... Everything changed. Everything in you became brand new. A robe of righteousness. And, and he's talking about being dressed as a bridegroom who puts on a tuxedo and a, and a, and a bride, a jewel tiara. Like this is, a wedding day is like a big thing. It's, this is a big thing. This is like a time of joy. Okay, Isaiah 61, 10 and 11. That was the product of what we're going to talk about. And I want you to hold on to that because that joy was the product of a process, the process that Jesus started and wants to continue in you and in me and in this church. But we have to remember that if if we're going to be a church of influence, that means we have to remember that it is all about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's his church. He's the savior. Okay, can I be so bold as to say Victory Life Church is not the Savior? Victory Life Church is not the only church in our area. Victory Life Church is not the only church that has the truth. It's not the only church that preaches the gospel. But this church is about Jesus. He's the head. We're the body. I want, I, want to, I, want to, I want to be a church with influence. I want to be a person of influence, but I have to remember that I'm not pushing my own brand. I'm not trying to be famous. I'm trying to make Jesus famous. I'm not trying to be known. I'm trying to make him known. See, Jesus has to be a church's greatest influence if it's going to have true influence in the community. Okay, it can't be about us competing with other churches can't be for us to reach out into the community more than we ever have before this year. It has to be about Jesus. It has to be about cooperation with what he's doing in his church, capital C church. That's good, Mark. Keep preaching. I'm with you. See, an influential church has to be radically obsessed with Jesus. He he is the focal point. He's why we meet. He's why we sing. We were singing about him. I just do, I do want to. I'll just be honest with you. I've been a Christian a few years and I have been to some churches and some meetings where I thought the praise team thought they were singing about the evangelist. You know, he's great. He's worthy. And we didn't know who they were talking about. If it was Jesus or 
What's his name? Or what's her name? We have to be obsessed with Jesus. Our focal point has to be Jesus. Why we live and breathe. Listen, we're going to spend eternity with him. We ought to give him some attention every day, wouldn't you think? Jesus is in you. Just, if I could make contact with you, I would try to really see if you, if you believe this, if you understand this, Jesus is in you, not just in this place corporately, he's in you. And because he's in you, that means you and I cannot settle for status quo, just enough, good enough. I, I, um, my dad was a professional musician when he was younger. Uh, he went into business and other things later, but he, when I was, when I was a kid and before, before he married my mom, he was, that was big band era and he was a drummer and he played professionally and, uh, I, I got that bug from him. I mean, my first drum lessons were from him. And so I, I played trumpet, French horn, but when it started to be time to do band, I played drums and I preached. That's, that's, that's how I learned how to give an altar call. Doing street meetings. I've, I've, I've played places that were like juvenile detention places that were like their own city. And they just let you in the door and set you up on a curb and let you go at it. So I've done some very interesting things in music. And now I'm trying to figure out how on that rabbit trail where I'm supposed to be going with that. Oh, that's it. So I have, I, I've, got, I've got professional musician friends taking a lot of lessons. And I hate this. But... Some of my professional musician friends, if they were in the studio and they did a take and it was okay and they were going to let it slide, you know what they would say? It's good enough for gospel. Oh, I hate that. Why? Because it's for the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Just good enough is not good. Some of y'all are thinking, good enough for gospel. What does that mean? Like, it's okay for gospel music because those people apparently don't care so much. Sorry I had to explain that. I'm so, I need to calm down. <laughs> Paul said this to the Corinthian church, the kingdom of God is not talk, it's about power. Yes. So you can talk till you're blue in the face, but until something takes place, until you do something, until something happens that's beyond the scope of just what you and I could pull off in our human ability, in our human smarts, in our human power. The gospel is not fully preached until it's demonstrated, okay? And that can be a supernatural healing, but it can also be acts of service. The kingdom does not consist in talk, but in power. The Strong's definition for this word power, uh, it means in the influence which belongs to riches and wealth. In other words, there's, there's a sense of influence that if you... Let, let, let's just be honest. Like if you were a billionaire and we knew it, we would probably be more apt to listen to what you had to say about making money. Fair enough? Okay. What, what is that? In the sense that Paul is saying that the kingdom exists in power, he's talking about the influence. He's talking about, uh, it also means the influence or resources 
uh, arising from a number. In other words, if your army is huge, you, you don't have to do much to flex your muscles to set certain tensions back in order. What is that? That's the power he's talking about. We're talking about a church of influence, a church of influence that develops this kind of power cannot just be talk, it has to be action. It cannot just be talk, it has to be action. Okay, it's not one or the other, really it's both. So a church of influence is a church on the offense. It's not a church on, on defense. We're not, we're, as a church, we're not trying not to lose. We're going all out to win this thing, to win the loss, to win the world for Jesus. Why? He died for that. He paid for that. And we want him to have everything and everyone he paid for. See, the church on the offensive, it isn't, we're not sitting back waiting on an unbelieving world to come help us or waiting for the rich, powerful people to come help us. You are the rich, powerful people. Yes, I'm talking to you about you. We're, we're not waiting. We're, we're not going to wait for the church to come in here and win Grayson County for Jesus. Well, that sounded like the plan my last church. <laughs> Jesus told Peter, on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. You know, when I, as, a, as a kid growing up, I always kind of thought in my imagination, it was like the gates of hell are like coming to get you. Well, the gates don't move. If the gates of hell are not prevailing against the church, it means the church must be moving towards tearing down the gates that are keeping us out of stuff. So here, here's the text. All that's my introduction. Here's, here's the text, or at least part of the text. Isaiah 61, and you'll remember this from Luke chapter 4, Jesus read it there from Isaiah. You remember that in church? It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Isn't it amazing that, that he had to know that and other people needed to know that? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because, there is a because for the spirit of God that's in you. There is a because. All the gifts that he put in you, all the years training that you've had. Anybody in here been in church longer than five years? Just wave at me. Come on, be proud, y'all. Man, all 20 of y'all, bless God. May there be an extra star in your crown. No, there's a lot of y'all. I mean, on Wednesday night, that's the core of most churches. Most churches don't even have Wednesday night anymore. But y'all are here because you're core. You're hardcore. You're sold out the whole route. There's a because for everything that you've heard in your life. All the hours upon hours of teaching that you've had. You know, the problem in America is we feel like we're unqualified. Because if you don't have a seminary degree, if you don't have a doctorate, 
listen, most of the people you're listening to on Facebook got what they're telling you from some book anyway. Don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated by that stuff. And anybody, anybody you come to church with that intimidates you with how much they know and how much you need them, I can tell you right now, just run. Just kick them right in the knee and run. Because that is not the spirit of God. Now, I got on track there because somebody needed that. Don't ever let anybody intimidate you. Now, where I'm going with this is the first time we went, the first time we went to Mexico on a missions trip, we, we had our youth group speak at a church where the pastor was 16 years old. And his church was in his parents' driveway. You know what he had going for him? He was radically obsessed with Jesus and the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelt in him because he was a believer. That's it. Did not know a third of what you know if you've been in church for five years. What I'm telling you is you've got more than you think you have. You can do more than you think you can do and you're authorized by Jesus to do it. You don't have to wait on permission from me, from any other egghead theologian. Jesus gave you permission, signed in his blood, and if there's anybody that needs to, to be a, approved by, it's Jesus, and we're already pre-approved by him. He, yeah, go ahead, come on, encourage me. We might get out of here faster. The faster you listen, the faster I preach. He said, the spirit of God is upon me because he's anointed me to do certain things. One of those things was to bring good news to the I want you to make note of who he's dealing with. To bring good news to the poor, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, let me stop right here. The year of the Lord's favor is not a calendar year. This, this really signifies a season. We are in a season of favor, the age of grace. Yes, yes. That's what I, I don't have to, Pastor Seth, I don't have to stop and figure out if this person that I'm dealing with, if it's God's will for them to be saved. I already know it's his will for them to be saved. I already know it's his will for them to be healed. I already know that they're loved. I don't have to choose whether I'm going to love them or not. Jesus loves them. I love them. Period. Liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who? The poor, the captives, the bound, those who mourn. That's Jesus' target. And the reason that when he gets, Isaiah gets to the end of the chapter, that there's so much joy like a, like a precious wedding of a precious couple. The reason there's so much joy is that he realized this was his target and he did something about it. See, an influential church has a more than enough mindset. Now understand, look at, look at me. I'm not telling you that it's all out there. It's all in the streets and we need to spend all our time out there. Listen, if you spend all your time out there giving out, you'll probably backslide. You'll burn out. 
It's not all out there, but it's not all in here. That's why we have to have a more than enough mindset. I have more than enough time. I can spend time with my family. I can date my wife. And I can, I can be a part of a life group that's in the community serving or part of an outreach that's serving, reaching the law, serving humanity, a more than enough mindset. See, I don't always give sacrificially, but when Jesus nudges me, I will sacrifice and go beyond the norm. Doesn't mean it's every time. A church that has influence is going to have a more than enough mindset and a nothing is impossible belief system. I believe a church that's going to have influence has to believe that we can impact the foster care system and adoption so that every child who needs to be cared for in this region is cared for. I believe we can take the gospel of Jesus Christ outside of the four walls to where people are hurting, to where people are living. Whether it's a tent city on the other side of town, a housing development, wherever people need Jesus, I'm saying let's not wait for them to come here. Let's get up off our blessed assurance and take the gospel to where they are. I believe influence grows from radical generosity where we meet needs that are not ours to meet, where we take responsibility for what's not our responsibility. That's a wealth mindset. Influence grows from... I don't mean to be screaming at you. I'm just so excited about this. (laughs) Radical generosity, radical hospitality. I will never forget... If, if you know my wife, she's like a natural greeter. She's natural born hospitality. She's never met a stranger. If she hasn't met you yet, she will. There's a big target on you. <laughs> but she's always pulling people in, including people. I remember at our former church, there was a lady who'd been going there for quite some time and she was pretty involved. And Lisa one day said, hey, you would make a great greeter. Come and help me greet. And the lady just stone cold told her, that's your job. And besides that, I'm not qualified for that. My wife has never worked for a church in her life. She, it, whatever you see her do, it's as a volunteer. As a matter of fact, most of my ministry life, I've had to say, Lisa, slow down there. Don't take, hey. You know what I'm saying? Just balance. It's about balance. But I'll never forget that lady say. I'm thinking, how could you not be qualified to open a door and say, good to see you? But that's the way some people think if they don't have a radical hospitality mindset. If we're going to grow in influence, we need supernatural compassion. Well, we have that because Jesus lives inside of us. His love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Supernatural compassion, sacrificial giving, spiritual authority, and profound humility. Why profound humility? Because when you have the rest of this stuff going, the natural question should be, why are you getting all these results? And well, you must be, you, you must think you're really something. When, when, when people start talking to us about that because of the impact, when people start to condemn you and question your motive because you're successful, whether it's in business or in reaching people for Jesus, it's going to take profound humility not to answer them in the same spirit they're coming towards you. 
if you're going to prosper, the gospel promises it'll come with persecution. Now, all of these people, the poor, those that mourn, the bound, the captive, all of those people, the Messiah is saying, are going to be impacted by his ministry. And when they are impacted, look what happens. They build up the ancient ruins. They raise up the former desolations or devastations. They repair ruined cities, the devastations of generations. What happens? Why is there all that joy like a wedding taking place at the end of the chapter? It's because he is who he is and he does what he does and he's still doing it through you and through me. Foreigners will be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you, you shall be called the priests of the Lord. You, I'm talking about you. I got a head nod over here. Come on. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about those of you who still feel unqualified, undignified. It's only Jesus that qualifies anybody. You, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord, for they shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. I would that all of God's people were prophets. I would that all of you would preach the gospel. My, my, my dream is that, that you take ownership both in here and out there on the job to the degree that when they come in here, they don't know who's on the staff because everybody looks like an owner. Everybody is hospitable. Everybody is able to pray. Everybody is able to, they're going to call you. They'll speak of you as the ministers of God. Why is that? Because you have a ministry. You're a minister. Uh, You see a lot of, you see a lot of terminology, you know, in Christian churches and, and there's, there's terminology that gets to be, um, It's just rhetoric, you know? Nobody knows what they're talking about. Apostolic, the term apostolic is one of those words. You hear that a lot of times. People have no idea what they mean. We don't know what they mean. They don't know what they mean, but it sounds spiritual. I'm a part of an apostolic church. Whatever whatever it is or whatever it ain't, it's not just about winning souls. If it's truly apostolic, then it is about redeeming cultures. The apostle, look it up. Listen, a church of influence is going to have a wealth mindset. Wealth is really the means, the resources, strength, wisdom to create positive outcomes in the midst of lack. Light and darkness, order in the midst of chaos. That's what Jesus does in people's lives. Did he not do that in your life? I mean, when you were trapped, when you were bound... Did he not open the prison door and life changed for you? I mean, you had that two-pack-a-day habit, smelled like an ashtray, and suddenly you had no more desire to light up. 
Roll up. Pop the top. Jesus changed you from the inside out. Light and darkness, order and chaos. God cares not only about redeeming souls, but also about restoring his creation. Our job is to not only build up the church, but also to build a society to the glory of God. As agents of God's common grace, we are called to help sustain and renew his creation. To uphold the created institutions of family, society, you can add marriage, and you can go on and on and on to pursue science, true science, and scholarship, none of which will ever, ever contradict God's word. Not true science. To create works of art and beauty. Any artists in here? Both of you, bless God. Any, any, any poets in here? Just wave at me. No poet. Oh, yes, poets. I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Any, any sculptors? Oh, this one's going to be way out there. No sculptors. You see, we have a sculptor lack here. That probably means the church across town has 50 sculptors in it. Any violinists in here? Any musicians? See, people, you know why we don't, you know what? Listen, I'm taking, I'm taking time I don't have here to say this. Never, ever be embarrassed about your level of development in anything God put in your heart to do. But I am today only a snapshot of what I will be. So I cannot, cannot, cannot let my skill levels stop me from pursuing excellence and pursuing the glory of God. If I'm, if I'm going to sculpt, let me sculpt to the glory of God. I'm, I'm just a snapshot of what I will be. God is at work in that thing he put in your heart to do. You know, one thing we were talking today, man, I really don't have time for this, Mark. I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, well, I've been hurry. One of the things we're talking about today is like, how do you make room for the arts? What if, what if around Easter, we do a cross-themed art show? And then when you come in here on Good Friday, the hall's filled with, with paintings and sculpture uh, and, and, and poetry that talk about our Lord and his crucifixion and his resurrection. What if, what if to heal and help those suffering from the results of the fall? Here are three things in these, in these last few moments, three things that I believe the church must do if it's to grow in its influence in this day. Number one, we have to redefine success. That is misspelled, and if it is, it's probably my fault. We must redefine how to spell redefine. <laughs> We've got to redefine success. What do, I, what do you mean, Pastor Mark? We have to define success for church as it relates to influencing society towards Jesus. See, it's not about making it's not about making victory life known. It's about making Jesus known. Amen. Number two, if we're going to grow in influence in this day and age, 
where people are choosing less and less to come to church and less and less to support the church financially, then we've got to turn the church inside out. We have to move people from the pew to participation. Yeah, thank you for that, amen. I thought that would go over good. Listen, church growth is one thing. I'm after your growth. And I'm telling you the truth, not because I need your help. I'm telling the truth because you need mine in this. You can never grow to your full capacity until you are serving someone other than yourself. It'll never happen. Moving to participation is a requirement for growth. Turning the face of the church outward so that we're giving away our resources, we're blessing the community, we're unleashing the gifts that you have to serve people in a broader perspective. You say, well, well, should I still work in the nursery? Absolutely, we're still gonna have a gathering together. We still have babies. I hope y'all have a whole lot more babies. We're, we are researching right, you know, one of the things that I'm just upset about, I've, I'll, I'll go visit ch- child development centers to see what they have in their child development areas. And I'm thinking, this is cool. I want to come play here. <laughs> now, I'm not blasting anybody. I, I'm, I'm taking responsibility. Then I come back home and I go into our playroom and I think, how come they have commercial equipment and I've got little tykes? <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. My grandson comes here. It's like, I love this. He's like, he's like, let me at it. He comes out of children's church like dripping with sweat because he's been going round and round on that slide. I'm not knocking what we're doing or what our children's ministry is doing. I'm just saying, why does the world have a design that's built to, to facilitate growth the way God created people to grow with their little bitty I I don't know if y'all are feeling me on this. I'm saying I want state of the art so that people outside the church say, if I take my kid there, there's something going on. That's all I'm saying. I need to calm down. I know Lisa will get on to me later. So y'all clap a lot. Okay. So yeah, but they loved it. (laughs) Structure. If we're going to grow and enter in in influence, structures have to be overhauled in order to equip people to send them to strategic places of ministry. And I'm not just talking about Africa. I'm talking about Grayson County. And if, and, and if, we, if we can stretch our faith, perhaps we can reach as far as Tom Bean, maybe as far north as the Red River. It could happen. I'm dreaming. I know I'm dreaming. Structures have to be, listen, join us, on the, join us on the journey of development. Whether you think you could possibly lead or you think you could possibly minister or not, forget all the terminology. Can we just learn something that would better equip us when we hear somebody on the job say, my marriage is falling apart. I've had a bad diagnosis. Can we get enough training that like that 16-year-old pastor we met in Mexico, we could stand up because it's not you, it's Jesus in you. (laughs) If we're going to grow in influence, then we have to change what counts. Most pastors are all about nickels and noses. Know what I'm talking about? 
how many people came on the weekend, how much money they gave. Listen, that's important. If nobody came, if nobody gives, we ain't doing nothing. I get that. But this isn't my vision. My vision's about your vision. See, it's not just about these things. What counts is what is really important to us. What if we actually counted not just the people who came, but how many we send? What if we counted the numbers of life groups who actually were involved during a semester in reaching out and impacting the community? What if even those that do that once per semester, what if we had a target to count the groups who actually formed around outreach into the community? What if? I just, I just feel like, I feel like if I had a message burning for the church in America and for leaders, church leaders in America, it would be the same thing that God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go. See, it's Christians living lives of service, creating an unmatched influence on the culture that's going to be making the difference. It's loving people in the marketplace, touching them where they are in their world, relating to them where they are, how they are, seeing people transformed by the love of Jesus. In short, if we're going to become a church of influence, it's about bringing heaven to earth. Amen. Father, I believe we are that people. I believe you are everything you are in us and you will be everything you are through us as we yield to you. Amen.